We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Shogun Assassin on November 11th, 1980. It was written by Robert Houston, David Wiseman, Kazuo Koiki, based on the manga Lone Wolf and Cub by Kazuo Koiki and Goseki Kojima, directed by... Kenji Masumi and Robert Houston, and released by Roger Corman's New World Pictures. The manga of Lone Wolf and Cub was first published in Japan in 1970. The manga was adapted into six films between 1972 and 1974, starring Tomisaburo Wakayama, who we mentioned earlier this year as having been briefly attached to star as Kagimusha in that film, opposite his own brother Shintaro Katsu as Lord Shinjin. Katsu, by the way, has a producer credit on this film. Shogun Assassin is actually edited together from the first two installments of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, subtitled The Sword of Vengeance and Baby Cart at the River Styx. Mostly the second film with just 12 minutes from Sword of Vengeance. So this was originally two separate films right. that existed? But only the first 12 minutes are the first film. That makes sense, because I was, you know, he's a baby in a short part of it, and then... He's just like a kid in the rest yeah. of it. But but there is an entire film. It, it's edited chunks from both movies. It's right. not It's not just 12 minutes from the first one and then the whole second movie. It's still edited beyond that point. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, but you could get whatever the original films were called. Were those films also written and directed by like Houston and things like no. that? Or, no. No, 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 but no. they rewrote almost all the story elements. Got it. So what you're hearing the people say is not a direct translation of the original Oh, movies. that's interesting. Yeah. I was wondering if that was the case. No, they, so, they tried to simplify things everywhere. So when, when he says he wrote it, he they really did rewrite it. Right. I, was, they, I, was, they, I thought it was weird that they gave him that credit of writing and directing yes. when it's really just a re-edit, but I guess there is story. Yeah, they did a lot of adjusting to the story. That clears up my confusion. I want to see the originals now. Yeah. I wonder if they're... I wonder if they're, if I would enjoy them as much as this one or I less think or more. I don't I know. I think this is like the greatest hits of the first two movies. That kind of makes sense. So I think that if you watched the other ones, they would seem slower. That also, Sword of Vengeance is very much an origin story, which is why it only takes up the first 12 minutes of the film because it ends with him killing the Shogun's son, cutting his head off and marching into the sunset. And that is, that's the whole first movie is just introducing the character but then the second movie is you know it's kind of like uh lord of the rings and the two towers and it's just them on the road constantly getting attacked by people yeah i do love this general concept though of uh you know an assassin and his kid yeah you know it it was kind of it it kind of reminded me of um in juno the so so fruitful yuki yeah yeah. i like the idea of taking a classic type of character and turning it on its head a little bit and being like, oh, this is this is a loving father and he yeah. takes his son on all his murders. <laughs> well, another more recent example that I think is a very obvious comparison to this would be The Mandalorian, which is an assassin on the road trying to, he turned against his 
his own team and now they're out to kill him and he's got this baby with him that he has to protect at all costs. The Japanese symbol featured predominantly in the film is the family crest or mon of the Tokugawa clan who we saw fighting for power over Kyoto earlier this year in Kagemusha. Robert Houston and his partner David Weissman directed and produced the re-edit after Weissman bought the rights from Toho for $50,000. Several dialogue excerpts from the film are sampled in the Jizza album Liquid Swords. That was the night everything changed. Sometimes we gotta fast and fast. You niggas don't know where this shit started. Y'all know where it came from. Jizza's Wu-Tang partner Rizza scored both halves of Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill, which also features clips when Beatrix Kiddo is watching the film with her daughter as a bedtime story. When that was the other movie that really stuck out to me, um, I don't, I didn't remember the fact that they played this the in, movie in. that they actually played this movie in the movie, and I'm like, you know, there's so much that reminds me of Kill Bill in here. Yes. I'm sure, I'm certain that it's some sort of influence on Tarantino, especially with all the arterial spray stuff. Yeah. That's definitely uh, a clear influence. Mommy, do you want to watch a video with me before sleepy time? Oh yeah, I would love to. Which one do you want to watch? Shogun Assassin. No, BB. Shogun Assassin is too long. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Oh then. I'll leave you ladies to it. In 2012, Justin Lin announced that he would be directing an American remake, but that obviously didn't happen, and I'm not super upset about that. Upon release, Shogun Assassin landed in Section 3, the least extreme section of the official video nasty list. Oh, really? Yeah. The voice of Daigoro, the son, is actually the son of the guy who did the cover art for the movie. Well, the cover art's great. Yeah, and the kid does a great job, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm... I'm going to take issue with all of the voiceover, but not because it's it's bad. It's not because it's badly performed. I'm just right. going to put that there. But I just think it's wholly unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is. But I, I still appreciate what a good job they did fitting it in the people's mouths. Because sometimes yeah. the dubbing is very distracting. Um, and they actually put some effort into matching mouth shapes a little bit with the words they chose. It kind of reminds me of my old job where we took a cartoon and right, yeah. completely re- we, we, we didn't speak Korean and it was a Korean cartoon and we just looked at it and we're like, what do we think is happening? Yeah. We wrote a story and tried to match it up. <laughs> well, it's, it's not a lot unlike my old job either with... Uh, most extreme elimination challenge where they're putting just jokes over what the people said not even bothering to translate just yeah. literally just making stuff up yeah spinach farm up next patrick o'reilly the voice of septic the fledge log now you work your way through the city sewer system but look out for the plumber snake oh and he sticks it ken i think you got a wedgie hey does your crack hurt yes but also obviously woody allen did it and what's up tiger lily before that which is what inspired the most extreme elimination challenge guys I think that was actually Woody Allen's first feature film because it was he literally just had to buy the rights to a movie and then write jokes over it. We start this film with the child's voiceover over the opening credits. When I was little, my father was famous. He was the greatest samurai in the empire. And he was the shogun's decapitator. He cut off the heads of 131 lords. It was a bad time for the Empire. 
the Shogun just stayed inside his castle, and he never came out. People said his brain was infected by devils. As we hear all this, we see a completely crazed Shogun sending soldiers out to kill people willy-nilly. My father would come home to mother, and when he'd see her, he'd forget about the killings. He wasn't scared of the Shogun, but the Shogun was scared of him. Husband. Maybe that was the problem. Lone Wolf's wife, Azami, tells him she had a bad dream, but he tells her not to be afraid. Bad dreams are only dreams. The child's name is Daigoro, but I'll be calling him Cub mostly, because mm-hmm. that's who he is to the Lone Wolf and Cub story. And easier to say than Daigoro. Daigoro constantly. <laughs> uh, Cub tells us that his father prayed for peace nightly, and his mother sang, One night, ninjas attacked on orders from the Shogun, intending to kill Lone Wolf, but somehow killing Azami in his place. <laughs> That was the night everything changed forever. Azami uses her dying words to remind Lone Wolf that it's his responsibility to protect Cub. When he first mentions that they were trying to kill my father and they accidentally killed my mother, I was thinking that's weird. Like, yeah. how did that happen on accident? And then I started thinking of, um, is it uh, Diamonds Are Forever? Or no, it's You Only Live Twice when they're trying to poison him through the ceiling yeah and then he rolls over at the last second and the poison goes into his wife's mouth yeah and i was like oh maybe something like that's about to happen but then it turns out that in the original movie they just killed his wife because they were framing him for her murder Hmm. and so that's what was was happening in the original version of this story also the crazed shogun guy that we see is not actually the shogun He's an advisor. He's like a he's like the Jafar character, and he's trying to start his own rival faction that are killing a lot of people. But they were like, let's make it less complicated. He's just a shogun, and he's crazy. Yeah. Lone Wolf swears a vengeance, and he hits the road with a baby cart. On a path in the wilderness, a man with a basket helmet over his head charges them full speed until Lone Wolf slices open the basket and buries his sword deep in the man's forehead, at which point the man grabs onto the sword and pulls it down into his own head so that a second ninja can jump over him to attack Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf taps a cane which extends a spearhead from one end and impales the second attacker before he can hit the ground. As the men bleed out like blood sprinklers, they inform Lone Wolf that he is marked for death, as though that were not already made clear. Yeah. (laughs) You are marked for death. Wherever you go, you cannot escape the Shogun. And we drop the title card here, Shogun Assassin, which doesn't really make sense because he's not assassinating the Shogun or an assassin for the Shogun. He is an assassin for the Shogun. Or he was. No, he was He was a decapitator. He, he carried out executions. That's different from an assassination. Well, at least at certain points in the the voiceover, the cub calls him an assassin on multiple occasions. Yeah, he, he becomes an assassin in this story. But I think before that, he was literally just handing out capital punishment for... Unless they're implying, like... Because the Shogun is just a position of power. It's 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 the, the dictatorship yeah. of, of the, you know, the, the czar or whatever. Um, unless they're saying, like, he is the king of the assassins. Because we will meet the, the supreme ninja. That's true, yes. As well. I, and I also don't think that we should take that he was the decapitator as in like he's the, the you know, the guy with the, the black bag over his head that just chops people's head off well, on a block. I think that he's literally hunts people down and decapitates them when the Shogun asks him to. Th- that's possible. Although I I read from it that it was like he would ask people to 
commit seppuku and then what you're supposed to do at the end of seppuku after a person commits it completely is there's a guy who's the official decapitator that takes their head off at the end of it oh, maybe um but it's possible that he did kind of both because he's clearly you know good on his feet he can figure things out he yeah. can improvise these murders yeah he's super skilled to yeah. the point that he, he's he, the shogun at least know he's he's so skilled that he's afraid of him right although his his physique <laughs> yeah belies his abilities for sure uh he does not look like that in the manga or in any other version of this story there's there's a uh, made for tv version of it in japan and it's he looks like he does in the manga which is like a trim fighter and the guy who created the manga was like very hesitant about his casting but eventually like they did some sort of an audition process where he proved like no i can appear agile and do things like i never feel like when he's fighting that it looks unbelievable what he's doing no 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 um so i think i think he at least pulls it off but it is a strange shape for this character to be i i kind of like it yeah i think it's against type and in in a good way whereas uh, uh, unlike something like the exterminator i'm like where is this you know puffy white guy doing yeah (laughs) like just murdering people (laughs) but he's also not like sammo hung huge you know so it doesn't, yeah, yeah. it doesn't look ridiculous it just w- w- in the nude scene that comes up later i was just like oh yeah. hmm. <laughs> we fade in from the title to lone wolf and cub eating by a campfire cub says that his dad doesn't talk much anymore and sometimes gets lost in memories of the past we cut to a flashback to the beginning of their journey today i will begin walking the road to hell but you will choose your own path Lone Wolf sets out a sword and a ball, and he tells Cub, who is too young to speak or understand him, that choosing the sword means you will join me on the road, and choosing the ball means joining your mother in the afterlife. Like, I'm just going to kill, kill you him. right yeah. here. You know what I love about this scene, though, is this is such a classic, like, little kid thing to do. You put a, an actual toy designed for a child in front of them, and then you put something yeah. incredibly dangerous in mm. front of them, and they will go for the incredibly dangerous That's thing true. every time. <laughs> yeah, you would think that the odds are stacked the other way, but no, the kids are going to go for whatever's going to slice up in their it's hand shiny. the fastest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Luckily for Cub, he turns away from the ball halfway across the floor and grabs the hilt of the sword. Lone Wolf seems very happy that his son has chosen to defy the Shogun with him. Well, because he doesn't have to murder his child. I yeah. almost thought it was Oof. like, he was just like, oh, I'm going to have to kill this kid because I can't bring him with me. And he's like, okay, I'll just make it look like it's his choice to die. And he put out these things and he thought the kid would go for the ball. And when he went for the sword, I thought he was going to go like, oh, now I can't kill him because I made this whole deal, even though he didn't understand it. But it's also, I think it it was him saying, like, he's accepted his fate right. now. And yeah. so... If he dies on the road, he sort of has absolved himself from that yeah. that horrible thing that has happened. But it's it's going to make it a lot harder for him. So I expected him to be upset that he picked the sword because it's just like, ugh, that's a lot more work for me. But he's actually ecstatic that he's like, oh, good. Okay, you're on my team. Here we go. The next day, Lone Wolf and Cub are ordered by emissaries to swear loyalty to the Shogun. If they refuse, their only choice is Harikuri or Seppuku. Same thing. <laughs> You are wrong. I have a third choice. (laughs) He grabs his son and sword and slices up the papers with the Shogun's orders and then just ruins a crowd of 10 or 12 guys. He slashes open a few bellies. He cracks someone else's sword in two. He sends the tip of that sword through another man's neck and pins him to the wall. He does all this while cradling his son in his non-sword arm. Uh, I think my favorite one was the guy at the door 
where he slices yeah. through the guy at the door and it just cuts to the exterior exterior of the door where the ropes that were holding it shut yeah. fall off. So he sliced him right through the, the, the gap between the door. Yeah, he cut he cut through the guy, he cut through the log on the inside of the door holding it shut, mm-hmm. and he cut through the bamboo straps on the outside. So all of these layers have been penetrated and he could just push the gate open to leave. This arterial spray is very reminiscent to uh, Kill Bill, specifically the whole Crazy 88 fight yeah. um, at the club. And I think over the course of the film, I clock things that will show up in Kill Bill, Big Trouble in Little China, and a 1983 martial arts film that I hold very near and dear called Duel to the Death yeah. that we'll be covering later. But this isn't the only film that uses that technique. No, for sure not. But I think um, I think this is what is being referenced uh, in those in those films. Not that this is the only one that has it, but that I think Tarantino very specifically was like, watch this, make things that do that thing because i want it to look like that there was another film that i thought was the one that really influenced the blood spray and i'm not i i'm not gonna know the name of it off the top of my head but i thought it had uh it also had like a female lady snowblood maybe yes that's it yeah that which is another uh live action adaptation of the manga that written by the same guy Ah. that wrote these stories okay all right so there so that one i remember seeing clips from that also used the the blood spray yes also dracula dead and loving it (laughs) (laughs) yes that's clearly what he was going after i'm just imagining them watching that on the kill bill set i want you to make it look like this and can we have a really funny vampire lone wolf pushes the gates open with ease to reveal the shogun and another row of soldiers intending to keep him here you can never escape your fate submit with honor to a duel with my son lord kurando so now lone wolf is actually being granted a chance at freedom if he can best the shogun's son in one-on-one combat if you win the shogun will not challenge you anymore to come back lone wolf agrees to the challenge and meets kurando in a field cub is riding on lone wolf's back the two men race full speed toward each other. Karando has the sun at his back, hoping for a blinding advantage over his opponent. But when they get close, Lone Wolf leans down to reveal Cub with a mirror attached to his head, reflecting the sun back into Karando's face, just long enough for Lone Wolf to take his head clean off. And we get one of these beautiful, like, raised shoulder molds of yeah. a <laughs> neck above a human head, just spraying blood into the air. Um, Every moment of this film where the kid participates in one of the kills is just great. Yeah, it's yeah. super fun. <laughs> well, I also just like the implication of just in case he goes for my head, he'll miss my head. And, and take my sons off. <laughs> uh, in a medium shot here, we see blood spurting out of Karando's neck, the neck of his still stumbling body. And even though Karando is moving at what looks like close to regular speed, Lone Wolf and Cub are just frozen mid sword swing behind him to imply that it's like in super slow-mo, I guess. We cut back to the campfire where the Shogun has for sure not given up on tracking them down. The first Lone Wolf and Cub film is basically over. Uh, everything moving forward will be from the second film. After Shogun Assassin was really successful, they they released the other four Lone Wolf and Cub movies as four sequels to Shogun Assassin. But they're really just the last four movies. Uh, like They're not all remixed. It's just the movies as they came out. So after the first fight... And before the second fight of this movie with with his son with him, yeah, I was like, someone needs to get this guy a baby Bjorn, like you know, because he was just yeah. like 
holding his kid under mm-hmm. his arm for yeah, the first yeah, yeah. fight and then like with the second fight with the kid actually like tied to his back i'm like yay he did it yeah <laughs> <laughs> lone wolf and cub are moving through a town marketplace they're being pursued by shogun's ninjas they pull up to a bathhouse and a woman shows them inside her boss sees her about to wash their feet and reprimands her for letting a masterless samurai into his establishment Lone Wolf overhears this lecture and retrieves 1,000 pieces of gold from his baby cart. And and I guess my mental picture of what gold looks like is very different. <laughs> yeah. Because this looks like a bunch of chalk. Yeah, it does. I was unclear on that myself. I thought maybe it was covered in something else. So he just gives the guy this bag of gold. I to think hold on to. To hold on yeah, to. He's not he, like just paying no, for no, the no, bath. I was going to say, that is really expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess it's a little bit like collateral. Like, look, if you think I can't pay, clearly I can pay. Or if you think I'm gonna die in the next few minutes, Mm -hmm. like at least. So you better give me a thousand baths. (laughs) But honestly, I don't think a thousand pieces of anything could fit in this little satchel that he Mm -hmm. gives them, unless they're like literally golden teeth. The man changes his tune when he sees the gold, and he washes their feet himself. But Cub kicks hot foot water all over the guy. And they both move upstairs to their hot bath. While they're in the tub, Lone Wolf holds his sword slightly unsheathed in case of ninja cameos. Later, Cub is sleeping when more of the Shogun's men arrive at their home, in another flashback I think, to present Lone Wolf with an ultimatum. He has won his own freedom by killing the Shogun's son, but he must surrender Cub to them. Your son's life will be payment for your foul crimes. The men shove Lone Wolf aside and begin searching for Cub when Lone Wolf grabs one of them and pulls his shirt down to reveal armor. Armor? You fear him so? He is the son of a mad wolf. So they actually think this four-year-old is going to, like, destroy them. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Lone Wolf slashes a few guys open, and then he runs outside into another ninja pack. He slices his way through the additional men in a bamboo grove, and every other swing takes down a big bamboo stalk with it. The men chase him to the edge of a short waterfall in a shallow river, where the Shogun watches from a distance as Lone Wolf takes the men out one at a time. Suddenly, it's just Lone Wolf and another of the Shogun's sons, Bison or Bison. Bison, my son, you pompous fool. The wolf lures you to your grave. But I would risk the lives of all my sons to see his head on a stake. Lone Wolf is standing waist deep in the water now, and suddenly reaches down with his right hand under the surface of the water. Seeing this, Bizen slices his sword through the water to deflect Lone Wolf's sword, but when Bizen's sword is swung away, Lone Wolf lifts his left hand from the water, and we realize that his right hand was an empty diversion, and he quickly guts Bizen. Shogun seems less than devastated about it. Farewell, my son. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shogun, with nobody to fight for him, demands Lone Wolf's head, and Lone Wolf vows to destroy him. The Shogun sends a group of men to speak with the Ninja Supreme. They tell her that Lone Wolf has thus far killed two of the Shogun's sons, and he wishes to employ them to assassinate Lone Wolf. The men delivering the Shogun's message don't seem to think that the Supreme Ninja or her team are up to the task. She invites his best warrior to face off against her ninjas in an exhibition match. Weirdly, though, The one guy has to face off against eight of her ninjas at once. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Ninja challenges him to escape the room, and he is quickly caught by her ninjas and sliced piece by piece. An ear hits the floor, fingers, a nose. (laughs) 
I wish there was more of this kind of gore in Kill Bill's Crazy 88 scene instead of just like limbs everywhere. I wish we had more like recognizable body parts hitting the ground. The women all stab the man to death on the floor and return to their positions. This is your best man. No move would swallow him. <laughs> the laugh is unmistakably Sandra Bernhardt, <laughs> yeah. who appears in the credits as a voice. The men from the Shogun are disturbed by the laughter and send the women after Lone Wolf. We cut to Lone Wolf and Cub moving through the snowy mountains. Cub explains that they stop at temples to pray for the dead in their wake. And at these temples, Lone Wolf is often hired by Koopal to kill people that they're too scared to kill. If the temple gate has the illustration of a wolf, it means that they have a person for him to kill. He replies to them with a message of rocks assembled in the snow and then they meet somewhere else to discuss the the plan ninjas are spying on this exchange though and they hang from the ceiling of the church to eavesdrop on the assassin contract hirado the local clan chief asks for proof of lone wolf's abilities before they will assign him a target lone wolf throws his sword across the room through two paper partition walls and then it lodges in a third wall and by the time the men from the village find the sword blood is just gushing out of the wall around the sword before it slides slowly down the wall slicing it in half as the stabbed spy collapses on the other side this is part of what reminds me of uh duel to the death there's yeah. a lot of blind stabbing of people the men believe lone wolf now and entrust him with an assignment they pull the sword out of the man and he throws blood across the floor before putting the sword away they pay lone wolf in advance to kill the shogun's brother kiru the Shogun takes two-thirds of their harvest and still thinks that they're lying about it, so he sent Kiru with ninja spies to, to check on them. We also learn of a special escort headed this way by ship, and I was very excited to see the three storms on the deck of the ship. John Carpenter clearly drew inspiration from these three, known in this film as the Masters of Death, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they look exactly like yeah. the three storms from Big Trouble in Little China. Who I call the Mod Squad. Sure. And in that film, uh, the three storms are magical fighters and they're affiliated with the Lords of Death. So it makes sense that these three are the Masters of Death. Each of the Masters has a unique weapon. One has claws, one has a club, and one has nailed fists, which is like a glove with nails poking out of it in all directions. But uh, the three storms, I think there's one guy with claws, one guy with forks that spin around really fast on rings, mm. and then one guy that just has lightning power. Yeah. The Masters of Death intend to escort Kiru across the border, and these villagers implore Lone Wolf to kill Kiru before that happens. We hope you will not fail. The future of our clan depends on you. On the trail again, the music that plays here reminds me a lot of Santa Esmeralda's Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, which is also featured on the Kill Bill soundtrack. Cub tries to keep track of his father's kills to help him pray for each of them. So far, it's 342. They encounter some of the Supreme Ninja's women on the road. They're all wearing bright color patterns and start cartwheeling in the path. The camera is zooming in and out of the fabric and in and out of Lone Wolf's face like he's being hypnotized by this motion. Finally, they are leaping toward him with kicks and swords, and he kills a few very quickly. 345. Lone Wolf and Cub walk down the road. He encounters a pair of women along the road who suddenly frisbee their razor-lined hats at them. Lone Wolf slices one of the hats, 
as the other one trims Cub's ponytail while he ducks into the baby cart. In a quick sword fight, Lone Wolf takes one of their hands off and puts his sword through the neck of the other woman, and they continue down the road about eight feet before they're attacked again. And the one who's got the neck, the sword in the neck, looks really pissed off. Yeah. She's just like, God This wasn't supposed to happen. Damn it. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. They continue down the road about eight feet before they're attacked again, first with vegetables, but when a radish stabs through the baby cart, Cub opens it to find a blade hidden inside. So each of these vegetables has yeah. actual metal in the middle of it. Yeah, which I just thought was great because yeah. they were just shoo, 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 shoo. <laughs> it's radish, what you fear radish, every radish. Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Lone Wolf stabs a few more ladies, and then when his hands are full of corpses, the last woman charges the cart, and Cub taps twice on one of the poles that frames the cart, and a blade extends from it, stabbing the last woman in the chest and scoring Cub his first official kill. Another 20 or so feet down the road, they are ensnared by a huge net, and the lady who threw it yanks the baby cart over on its side. This is the Supreme Ninja, and she throws claws into the net to drag Lone Wolf as he cuts his way out. I am the Supreme Ninja! He seems very impressed by her title, at least. During their sword fight, they are caught in embraces several times. He seems to intentionally avoid dismembering her, Once he disarms her, he swings his sword down and she catches the blade in her bare hands. After a moment, she's able to throw him to the ground by twisting his sword and then leaps straight up out of her clothes and lands in a nearby field where she runs full speed backwards (laughs) away from Lone Wolf to his and our confusion. I love that shot. It's so great. It was just like, don't turn your back on him, don't turn your back on him. Yeah. I don't know if she's supposed to look naked, but she's wearing like a full... Like, well, she's got a black bodysuit, like yeah. a tight bodysuit on. But, it, but it's only slightly darker than her skin color, and it felt like the point was supposed to be that she jumped out of her clothes to get away from them. But she's not naked here. She well, is wearing a bodysuit. But we'll see her naked later, so I don't think it's a really no, a matter of that. No, I think she's supposed to be wearing clothes. Okay. Yeah. I think that this was just her... That's just what she wears under it. It's her getaway outfit. It breathes. <laughs> yeah. Lone Wolf and Cub continue down the path through the woods... Fight music starts playing before any enemies are visible. Suddenly, there's a crowd of fighters on the horizon. One throws a hook on a chain and steals Lone Wolf's sword right out of his belt. Lone Wolf grabs a dagger out of the cart handle to replace it, and he yanks two spears off the sides of the cart before shoving it full speed toward the line of men. Just before it hits the men, Cub pushes a pedal in the basket to extend blades from both sides of the cart, and he plays a brutal version of Red Rover, Red Rover, send Daigoro right over. The blades take off two feet as he rolls past the fighters. Yeah, but this is one of those, like, steamroller coming towards you in Austin yeah. Powers moments. Yeah. Because it t- I mean, the cart is not going that fast. And yeah. they just slowly cut through the legs of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> I also think he pushes the pedal for the blades to come out way too early. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's such a telegraphing in the move. Yeah. Where it would have been much better if he did it at the last second. They thought they were standing clear of it. Right, because they don't move for so long. Lone Wolf pulls off an essentially flawless victory on all of these dudes, and blood spurts out by the gallon. Lone Wolf and Cub cross a bridge alone. Cub notices his father is bleeding out of one sleeve, and he struggles to keep the cart on a straight path. In POV, we get a feel for how disoriented Lone Wolf is. He probably hasn't slept in like two weeks since they've been walking. They enter a shed to sleep for the night, and the Supreme Ninja again meets with the Shogun's assassins, and they tell her that Lone Wolf has killed all but two of their men. Supreme Ninja laughs again. They inform her that all of her women are also dead. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, keep laughing. Yeah. (laughs) 
Together, they plan to kidnap and kill the child as a way to get to Lone Wolf. Cub tries multiple times to collect water from a nearby river for his father, but for some reason, it doesn't just stay in his hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, He takes food from an offering to Buddha at a statue uh, to feed his father with. He trades. Yeah, he he takes off his jacket as payment. At night, Cub is drawn into the woods by low drumming music. Lone Wolf awakes alone and calls out to his son but gets no response. The door blows open and ninja feet enter the room. He follows the ninja into the woods where they hold Cub over a deep well. They demand his surrender and threaten to drop the child. Lone Wolf insists that Cub knew what he was getting into. My son and I have embraced our fate. Cub drops a sandal into the well so his father will know exactly how deep it is. He steps forward and kills three men, slicing one clean in half down the center of his blood waterfall of a face, and steps on the rope connected to his son before he can reach the bottom of the well. The Supreme Ninja watches all this in shock, and Lone Wolf slowly reels his son back up and carries him away past the Supreme Ninja. That was the first time I ever saw my father spare the life of an enemy. He should have killed her, but he didn't. Maybe it's the way she looked at him. Maybe she reminded him of someone. We cut to Lone Wolf and Cub on a ship to find the Shogun's brother. The three storms, the masters of death, are still standing at the front of the ship. A team of rebels against the Shogun sneak up on the masters of death and very quickly get their asses handed to them. One dude gets clawed down the face, another is tossed overboard, a third gets his wrist just completely mashed by this club. The dude with nails in his fists punches a guy's eyes out, and suddenly the first gun appears. A guy on the roof has a shotgun, but claw hands tosses a bale of hay at him, knocking him within face-clawing distance. They pay a man with a coin to tell the other rebels to give up the fight. Lone Wolf and Cub appear in a nearby doorway, and the Masters of Death recognize him. All of the ship's passengers see this fight coming and start demanding the ship captain let them off immediately. Lone Wolf meditates below deck, and one last rebel thinks to himself that the Masters of Death will never make it off this ship. To prove their abilities, one of them throws a knife so close in front of the man's face that it slices off one layer of skin from his nose, and the man runs in fear. The Master of Death asks for his knife back, which stuck in the wall next to Lone Wolf's head. Lone Wolf throws the blade directly back into its tiny sheath on the side of his sword, and the Master of Death squints, recognizing and respecting Lone Wolf's expertise. A woman on the ship discovers that a collection of barrels labeled soy sauce in the corner seem to be dripping oil instead. Well, it's not just a woman. It's the, it's the same woman? I wasn't it, sure. It's the Supreme. I was like, yeah. oh, I was, that's my nose. Like, they're, they're all on this ship? Everybody's on this ship. And he's not acting like he recognizes her. So yeah. I was like, is that not her? Because they were fighting the last time that they were together. So is this just supposed I mean, to be a different woman? Sort of fighting. He let her go. Right, but she's still trying to kill him, presumably. These kegs are filled with oil disguised as soy sauce. Someone plans to burn the ship? The man with the cut nose moves upstairs to unplug the oil kegs and splash oil all around the ship. He lights the oil and dives overboard. The oil rolls down the stairs in flames to the room with Lone Wolf Cub and the Masters of Death. The Masters promise not to attack Lone Wolf unless he interrupts their task of delivering the Shogun's brother. Lone Wolf slashes a hole in the ceiling and then jumps up through it uh which reminds me of when one of the three storms does this in big trouble in little china he like breaks a hole in the ceiling and then just jumps clean up through the hole Mm -hmm. on the deck 
Lone Wolf throws the baby cart overboard with Cub inside, and then he pole vaults over the wall of fire circling the ship. Underwater, we see the woman from the boat is following them, and she manages to wrestle Lone Wolf's sword away from him, and it sinks to the bottom of the water. He drags her and Cub to the shore and into a small home. In the house, Lone Wolf takes off his wet clothes, undresses his son, and then begins forcibly undressing the woman. The three of them cuddle together for warmth, but I feel like this could have been done a little gentler and not come across as a desperate rapist. Yeah, I, I was really worried where this scene was going. And then I thought, wait, maybe he's checking her for additional weapons because like, he just maybe. really doesn't trust her. And and that's why she's like trying to like resist, like, like oh, no, don't, please, please. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's because I got all these weapons hidden on yeah. me and if he, <laughs> he'll find them. But like, no, no, this is just like a horrible upsetting scene and i guess it's cold out but i mean we can't tell because we don't see their breath or anything but it must be cold enough that they had to do this to survive but um they, they do he does have a line that he says you know there's no fire right yeah we must stay together to be warm so lone wolf holds them tight as the woman's hand sneaks toward the sword on the floor cub grabs at the woman's nipple with his hand and she sets the sword down as her motherly instinct kicks in she sneaks out later in the night and stands in the raging surf on the beach to contemplate what's going on. Later that day, Lone Wolf hears her following them again, and he holds a sword out to warn her away, and she drops hers to retreat. We felt bad leaving her there. We knew she would have to go back to the Shogun and commit Harakiri. She was ninja, and she had failed. Suddenly, Lone Wolf and Cub are out of the woods and cresting a sand dune in a vast desert. The Masters of Death are seen escorting the Shogun's brother in a palanquin, or litter as they are sometimes called, <laughs> not unlike the one Lord Shinjin died in earlier this year in Kagimusha. The Masters of Death sense the rebels are near. They arm their special weapons, and Clawman throws hooks into the sand blindly. Blood starts to gush out of the sand where he has successfully impaled a rebel's head. This is something I recognized also from Duel to the Death. In that film, ninjas are able to hide anywhere, but somehow the protagonist can always detect them. He regularly stabs his sword into the ground or trees, and blood just rockets out, suggesting that he has <laughs> killed another ninja before he could even attack. Often the trees aren't even wide enough for a ninja to fit in. My favorite, though, is when he slices a ninja completely in half, top to bottom, only to learn that a second ninja was hiding inside the first ninja. <laughs> I really can't wait to review that movie for this podcast. Yeah, because that was after this. Yes, that's 83. Yeah. So, so we'll get there. Yeah, so that movie very much could have been influenced by a bunch of this stuff. Yes, I think okay. so, definitely. Because even the guy jumping out from behind the dude that got yes. cut in half was very much like that scene in Duel to yep. the Death. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Claw Guy hits another underground rebel in the head and just drags him out of his hole. And now about 50 more rebels appear from under carpets buried in the sand and are dispensed with effortlessly by the three masters of death. The masters find Cub standing in the desert and he points them in the direction of his father. So we have a reunion. <laughs> now we will show you masters of death. Come on. Lone Wolf gets the Clubmaster alone and breaks the club with one swing, the Clubmaster's sword with a second swing, and then cuts his basket hat in half. 
from behind we see the man's head split in two but each half is supported by his hood Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so blood is just fountaining out where his face should be it reminded me of the thing (laughs) yeah like a face just opening up for no reason Yeah, blossoming nail fists gets a sword in the gut from 10 feet away when lone wolf unexpectedly hucks it at him how could you throw your sword like it's against the rules or something (laughs) wolverine is the last man standing and Lone Wolf leaps off of him to collect his sword from Nail Fist's corpse. Right when Clawman gets to him, Lone Wolf nicks him ever so lightly right on the carotid artery, and we get this beautiful shot of this effervescent blood spray escaping smoothly, almost like a, a colored gas. The whisper of a breeze accompanies the spray. Your technique is when cut across the neck a sound like wailing winter winds is heard they say i'd always hoped to cut someone like that someday to hear that sound but to have it happen to my own neck it's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) it's the best line in the whole movie (laughs) i mean to end it with the word ridiculous and to start it with your your technique is magnificent it makes it just a perfect line yeah all this well squirting blood (laughs) yeah it's just it's wonderful uh the man rolls down the sand dune and bleeds out at its base the men carrying the shogun's brother wisely disperse and lone wolf chops open the box you can't touch me I am the Shogun's brother! Out. Shogun means nothing to me. Die! The man's blood sprays about, even dripping a bit on camera, which was a nice touch. Hand in hand, Lone Wolf and Cub march over the dunes away from the human wreckage. I guess I wish it was different. But a wish is only a wish. Which is kind of an echo of earlier when he told his wife a dream is only a dream. But that dream came true, so maybe this wish will. Who knows? Uh, that's the end of our film. Uh, the the guy in this box was not the Shogun's brother uh, in the movies. He's a guy who knows how to make a special dye that they use in their uniforms. Okay. And so he's being protected for that reason. But they were like, nah, he's the Shogun's brother. <laughs> that's less confusing why... This second random yeah. guy is so important. Yeah. Um, those aren't the only things that they changed that I mentioned, but uh, I, I think they changed enough of it that the screenwriting credit is, is at least warranted. That makes sense. Maybe I wouldn't enjoy the originals better. I mean. I Yeah, I don't know. I haven't it's, actually seen It's hard seen to them. say. But I enjoy this one a lot. I do too. Yeah. I think uh, all the action is great. It reminds me of what I love about Ricky O yeah. and what I love about Duel to the Death, which yep. that it. It feels like a manga. It feels like it's comic book violence. It's cartoony and it's fun. And in this movie, it's nonstop. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was gonna say. I think I love this one because it's it, it it's everything I love about a movie in terms of it just being constantly entertaining yeah. and ridiculous and 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 enjoyable to watch. The only thing that I think I would change about this movie is less voiceover. Because, and I understand that they're trying to wrap it up into a story, but honestly, I think the way that they cut it was really good. I think that it it the story sells itself without having to to 
tell us everything that's happening because I think that you you understand just by the visuals the the new story that they've derived. Yeah, I I do think that it never actually felt like too much narration for me, but I also think that that's a part of that genre to have because it's supposed to be like a storytelling type thing where someone and even if you're seeing the stuff happen and it's unnecessary i feel like uh like it it fits the genre well to have this kid's voice just telling you what's happening between the scenes i just you know i think that there's something about the sort of like silent strongman kind of concept here that gets lost when you have a little kid telling you the whole story as it's happening i'm like oh i'd rather just sort of watch what this man does as it unfolds. Well, in in the actual Lone Wolf and Cub series, there's not nearly as much of the voiceover. Yeah. Um, it's it's fairly straightforward, and there's also not a lot of dialogue to replace it. It's just they give each other l- knowing looks, yeah. and you pick up on a lot yeah. of it. Yeah, and I like that idea. I, I really love movies that are able to tell a story without dialogue because that makes it so much more of a universal story. Yeah. I feel like we could have an episode of The Mandalorian where nobody says a word yeah i could they could they could have done that already a couple mm-hmm. times i mean maybe they even did because there's i mean i guess nick nolte is the only character that's speaking in his language that he would mm-hmm. have a conversation with in a couple of those episodes otherwise it's all like the baby obviously doesn't say anything and right big monsters on the on the desert planet but um yeah i i like this movie a lot i i wish there was more stuff like this but i feel like arterial spray is a thing that people aren't going to do as much anymore or that it's going to be cg moving forward yeah um i also miss this house paint red blood spatter (laughs) um i feel like when i was a kid that every movie had it and now no movies have it and i miss it and so i really appreciate it when it shows up in these things yeah well i remember working on a movie where they made us change the color of the blood to get a PG-13 rating. Right. They turn it black usually. Yeah, they just turned it dark so that it wasn't it wasn't blood-like and I'm like why does that matter? Like that that's the fun thing about these kinds of movies is that they're they're graphic and and violent, but they they do it in such a, a comically ridiculous way that mm-hmm. it's I you know, I wouldn't feel bad showing the kids this. Like this is yeah, this is I a agree. fun movie. It's, it's cartoony it, violence. It's, it's okay that a lot of people are getting their heads chopped off because it's it's not realistic. Yeah. We have the Beatrix Kiddo feeling about this movie that we're comfortable showing this to a four year old or five year old. <laughs> Our director here was Robert Houston. Um he plays Bobby Carter in The Hills Have Eyes and he came back for the sequel. This was his first directing credit. And he also did some stuff for Playboy, America's Most Wanted, and one episode of Doogie Howser. Uh, he provides voices here in Shogun Assassin. Uh, our other director, the director of the original material, Kenji Masumi, directed four of the original six Lone Wolf and Cub films, hence his credit here. He also directed a bunch of Wakayama's brother Shintaro Katsu's Zadoichi movies. And he also directed the 1974 Last Samurai that did not have Tom Cruise in it. Uh, the writer of the manga, Kazuo Koiki, uh, is the co-creator of the original Lone Wolf and Club manga series. Um, so he has story credits for all of those. He also wrote the Lady Snowblood manga, and he has a story credit on that film. And he also created the lesser celebrated Crying Freeman series. Uh, his co-creator, Goseki Kojima, um, just has Lone Wolf credits on his uh, IMDb page. Um, and our uh, American writer, David Weissman here, is a protege of Andy Warhol's. Uh, he also produced Bad Manners. 
and Kiss of the Spider Woman, and he provides a voice for the American dubbing in this film. Tomisa Wakayama played Lone Wolf here. Uh, he's obviously Lone Wolf for the full original series, and he also plays uh, Sugai or Shugai in Black Rain, which is another fun Tokyo movie. Uh, Akihiro Tamikawa played Daigoro. He plays the kid in all six parts of the original series, and those are his only credits. Lamont Johnson provided a voice in this film, though the voices aren't uh, assigned to a specific character, so I don't know which voice he did. He directed a lot of TV, including the 1988 Lincoln miniseries starring Sam Waterston and Mary Tyler Moore. He also directed Cattle Annie and Little Britches, which we'll be covering next year. Marshall Efron did a voice here. He's TWA and THX 1138. Uh, he also does the voice of Hun Gur in the Transformers, and he voices Lamppost and Toilet Bot in Blue Sky's Robots movie. <laughs> Sandra Bernhardt was the voice of the uh, the Supreme, Supreme Ninja. Ninja. Uh, she's a famous comedian and friend of Madonna's. This is her first feature film. She is a grouch waitress in Follow That Bird. She is herself in Zoolander. She's Masha in King of Comedy. She's Cassandra on the Hercules animated series. She's also currently Chelsea Peretti's mom on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And she, of course, plays Minerva Mayflower in Hudson Hawk. That's right. Uh, Lenny Weinrib does a voice in this. He is H.R. Puffin stuff. He plays H.R. Puffin stuff on that show. Huh. Uh, he's also Secretary Bird and the Lion in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He was Gomez Adams in the Hanna-Barbera Adams Family series, which... When I found it, I realized why the characters look like garbage in the new animated Adams Family movie. Well, they look like the the original comics. Well, which is what the the Hanna Barbera characters look like, and it's like this looks really bad. This, <laughs> these character designs are not good, and I don't care if it's based on the original series because none of them look like they fit in the same comic strip. Um, but uh, Lenny Weinrib was also Fred Flintstone in the '80s uh, Flintstones series. Sam Weissman. Uh, is another voice he is the younger brother of writer producer david weissman we had him earlier this year as the talent coordinator in holy moses who tells dudley moore how much time he has to present to the pharaoh and he was also a cop in loving couples he's the one who directed mighty ducks 2 bye bye love george of the jungle the out-of-towners remake what's the worst that could happen and dickie roberts former child star uh, so the editor here is Lee Percy. Okay. And um, I was just noticing he's from Kalamazoo, and I went to Kalamazoo and taught for a while uh, yeah. before I moved out to L.A. He was definitely um, there. Yeah, he was, he was probably there. No, he was. I'm sure he was in L.A. by then because – so this this appears to be his first credit um, as, a, as an editor, and he edited a whole bunch of other things. Well, he did a hell of a job cutting these two movies together into one story. Well, he did Reanimator. He did Troll. He did Blue Steel. He did Karina Karina. Or is that how you say it? Yeah. 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 Karina Karina. And he did um, Boys Don't Cry. A whole bunch of stuff on here. He's probably got some Oscar noms. Uh, salt. You know, everybody loves Salt. I sure do. <laughs> Not the oh, actually, movie, he wasn't the editor on Salt. I think he was something. What is he credited as for that one? Additional editor. He played Pepper in that movie. Her twin brother who was consumed in the womb. Snowden? I didn't see that one. Anyways, a lot of good credits. 
Amelia. <laughs> I haven't Beautiful. seen Amelia. <laughs> Everybody knows that movie. I'm assuming it's an Earhart biopic. It is. It uh, is. It's, it's Hillary right. Swank. Richard Gere. Oh, okay. Ewan McGregor. This is a thumb way up for me, for sure. Um, this is this is definitely, I would put it on, on the level with those Ricky O or Duel to the Death where I would just put it on. And It's a very, very fun samurai movie, ninja movie. I guess they're samurais in the original and they're... They're, they call them ninjas here, but they're kind of yeah. doing ninja things. So right, yeah. But this is a this is a wonderful film. It's fun characters. Uh, I think even in their efforts to oversimplify the writing, um, I think it still works fine. Um, I appreciated being able to follow the story so closely, um, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think the kid does a great job. Um, I was surprised by how much his performance didn't bother me. <laughs> the the actual kid that played him not the voice right or i actually like or? both i like the voice and the kid yeah acting. i think both did a good job but the the actual acting of the kid i love because i think that there are there there like he is the specific type of kid that that just doesn't really have much reaction to anything that's yeah. happening around him and i think that that's perfect for this role mm-hmm. but he also did a good job like when he's above the well and he's like slipping the sandal off and he's just looking at his father yeah. Like very intently yeah. and just like really sending the message like, this is for you. Pay attention to what I'm doing. Like it just, he seems like he's intelligent beyond his ears. Is that what he was doing? He was like, he was like, you can count how long you have yeah. before mm-hmm. I would hit. But I, it also confuses me a little bit because how deep is this well? Because if it's just water at the bottom, right? then it doesn't matter if you catch me in time. Well, he his hands and feet were tied. So he could he would have drowned. He, would, he wouldn't have been able to swim. And then maybe if the whole rope went down, he wouldn't have had a way to get him back out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So he was so he was indicating how much time his father would have between a- attacking these guys and being able to stop the rope. It seems like a weird choice to even have the rope if you're trying to make this threat, because you should just drop him, drop the kid in the well. Yeah. And because then the guy's still going to be in a rush to get his kid out of the water. And now you have all this time to kill him while he's preoccupied with this. But uh, that's not what happened. I think this movie's great. Yeah. Thumbs up from me. Thumbs up from me. Um, I give it a, a thumbs up, but I, I'm not as in love with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I do not like Riccio at all. No? What is no. wrong with oh you? Oh my god, no. Ricky O is so great. You're off the podcast. That's yeah. so sad. Ugh. It's definitely Ricky O, I would put in second place after Duel to the Death, and then this is this is third place for me on yeah. my like all time martial arts films. Yeah, this is this is great. I, I mean I can play the little what bit d- about What it. don't you like about Ricky O? Is it too, too over the top? Too cartoony? Yeah, it's just I I, I, I don't like it. It's interesting. I know you're that not you, a big fan of gore. But it's such it's basically an anime though. And you like a lot of straightforward anime shows. Not, not that straightforward. I guess you you don't watch the violent ones, you watch the more cerebral ones. Yeah. That makes sense. Because um yeah, all like the slasher and gore fest anime stuff. Like it feels like very like ninja scroll insanity. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't watch that. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Um where's this going on your list? This is going at number five. Wow. I would watch this movie anytime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is the kind of movie that you could just put on wherever, whenever, and I'd sit down and watch it. Very cool. So it is below Little Darlings and above Where the Buffalo Roam. All right. 
Richard? I have it at five. Uh-oh. Five. <laughs> five, See, we five. Agree, okay, we that's, agree that's, about the five. That's higher than I thought. Uh, yeah, it's I, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I moved it up during our conversation. I had it much lower. <laughs> it was just creeping up the whole time. Um, if we keep this going, maybe we can get it to number one. <laughs> yeah, just keep talking about it. Keep convincing me. Um, I have it at 55, uh, which is below Bogart's face and above in plain sight. All right. Um, I have it at 26, so I'm kind of splitting the difference here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's directly under Galaxina and above the Gong Show movie for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's much more capably made movies in terms of it, you know, being an intentional story. But this is one I I would want to own. But it's super entertaining. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is, like, this is the list. How how often would I watch it? Well, I'm going to watch this movie above a lot of other movies. Right. And it's if you meet someone who hasn't seen it, this is one of those movies where it's like, we're going to watch it right now because I want to see you react to this movie. Yes, exactly. Which is how I feel about The Island, (laughs) which is that it's just like, this is a movie where if I ever find someone who hasn't heard of it, and I assume there are a lot of those people, (laughs) I will say to them, I'm going to put this on right now and I'm going to just stare at you the whole time. Is that okay? (laughs) Perfect. Um, But yeah, I think that's everything for this one. Uh, If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Idol Maker which IMDb describes like so. Based on the life of rock promoter, producer Bob Marcucci, who discovered, among others, Frankie Avalon and Fabian. We leave you now with the trailer for The Idolmaker. You got that head turning wall Just talking about Makes me want you again You got it, Tommy. I saw it in there. You know something? With the right handling, you can go all the way. He'll teach you how to move. All we gotta do is loosen it up and bring the talent up to match your face. How to smile. They want Prince Charming, you know? Somebody cute and safe. How to sing. I just want to take you where I'm going. He'll tell you when to think. I told you I wanted movies for Tommy, not television. You got that? When to talk. From now on, you don't go nowhere. You don't leave this house. You don't do nothing. When to love. One of your star reporters was having an affair with one of the idols. And if you're lucky, if you last, he'll make you a star. I can make it happen for you, kid. He's the idol maker. Here is my love. Here is my love. The business needs a new teen idol, and Tommy's the one. He's the voice behind the voice. Must be pretty tough to even get it played maybe three or four times a day. the face behind the face. There's somebody special. Somebody people are going to want to look at. He's the mind behind the fantasies of millions. He takes a no one. He's not going to get there unless I push. You mean you're not going to get there unless you push. And makes him someone. I'm building him into a legend. To everyone. So don't you let me see you cry. 
The Idol Maker, starring Ray Sharkey, Tova Felcher, Peter Gallagher, and Paul Land. The Idol Maker, he could do it for you.